Well, good morning, everyone. It's her doings? Okay. Apparently, you are the god of the weather. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started. This is our Bible class time. I hope everyone is doing well. Who all, I'm curious, who all was at the uh, rodeo last night? Liz, raise your hand. I saw her. (laughs) I saw Liz last night. Anybody else at the rodeo? Anybody go to the rodeo? Man, I, look, we don't have rodeos in Tennessee. What is wrong with y'all? That was awesome. (laughs) Seriously, it's because y'all live here. You've been around them all your life, haven't you? That was the coolest thing I had seen in like forever. Like I walked out wanting to be a cowboy again. I'm like, man, I need a belt buckle, a hat. This is great. I did. It was it was fantastic. And, and not to mention uh, being able to buy a drink. It only cost a couple bucks too. So you don't do that in Nashville either. Anyway, had a blast. Who? Uh, anybody have a chance to go see the skit guys on Friday night? That was hilarious. That was a good time, wasn't it? It was good. It was good. All right. Well, let's take a few minutes. We're going to pray, and uh, we're going to get into the material that we've got for this morning, a little bit more information about the the tabernacle. I hope hope this is an interesting study for you all. It is for me. I haven't been um, in in Exodus in a long time, uh, probably a couple years, and I haven't really studied a whole lot about the tabernacle in a while, and I had a chance to go back through. Anytime I do a study over again, what I do is I typically will take two or three new books along the way, and so I can get fresh insights, right, and get, you know, tease more thoughts in your mind. Found some things this week. Um, They're fascinating, and I can't wait to share some of that with you all. Um, But before we do, we want to make sure we pray. What do we need to be thinking about this morning? Pull it up a little higher. Might need to go a little louder, Alan. The older folks are having trouble today. I'm teasing. I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about Terry. <laughs> no, uh, revival, brother. And I was totally teasing. Please, nobody, please don't beat me up later for that. I was just making a. I was actually ragging on Terry. Nobody else. That's exactly, right. That exactly right. What do we need to be praying for this morning, folks? June. Okay. Can I get someone to please take a note? Because uh, I don't have a pen. I don't have a pen. That's fine. If I can just borrow it, I'll just keep it up here. And I'll give it back to you. I don't need paper. Just a pen's fine. Oh. I got plenty of paper. Thank you. All right. Okay. The name, who was the person we just mentioned? June? What's her last name? Okay. Any updates on June? Okay. Uh, yes, ma'am. Yep. Okay. 
Good. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. My nephew's wife lived near the line. Everybody here knows Sue Lyon. Her daughter in law, she was in a car wreck last week. Oh, no. A broken hip and knee. Wow. And that's Lydia? Her last name is Lyon. Lyon. Lydia Lyon. Okay. Okay, thank you for that. Anybody else? Yeah, I know. Caleb is supposed to go on a, a, a field trip Thursday and Friday to Abilene this week. And it just makes you nervous a little bit. <laughs> so, at home, back home in Tennessee, we, the field trips weren't quite so far. You know, so. Be praying for him, too. Anybody else? Uh, David, as far as I know, as far as last week, the same that I know of. Anybody have anything else? Who? Now, I'm not familiar with her name. A he? Okay. She's suffering cancer. Nancy and Tommy Doyle's son. I got it. Brother, oh yes, Maxine, go ahead. Wendy. Brother Rick, would you? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Larry York. Brother Rick, we have a long list, a lot of names. Um, would you mind just kind of giving us a prayer over everyone? Would you mind leading us in a prayer this morning? Our gracious God in heaven, whose name alone is worthy to be praised, exalted, revered, Father. 
We acknowledge your power, your love for us, your ability to affect every one of these circumstances, Father. We know that in the original creation, you did not make man to be diseased, broken, needing, Father, so many things to make life livable. But sin entered our world, and because it did, all these other things came along with it. So, Father, we just pray that the effects, the consequences of evil in this world will be eradicated through our belief in you and our trust in your promises, knowing that your Son has paid the price for our healing. We are made new, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, We are held together, Father, by His power and His love. So we just ask that you shower your blessings upon every person that was mentioned this morning. Whatever their need, we trust that you know what is best and your timing is always perfect. So, Father, as we commend them to your capable hands, give our hearts peace to know that you hear our words and that you are, in fact, answering our prayers. It may not be in the next minute, hour, or day. It may be years down the road. But we know that you have never forgotten us, that you're always with us, and that wherever we walk, we have but to reach out our hand and you hold ours. Thank you, Father, for the assurance the confidence that we have, the boldness that we have in your Son to ask this of you and then give us the humble and submissive hearts to trust you, to do what is best. For as we ask this, we do so led by your Spirit and your Word, Father, believing with all our heart that you will answer In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. (coughs) All right. Well, we are going to be... Excuse me. We're going to be getting back into this conversation about the the tabernacle. Um, What have you guys thought about so far, just looking at the tabernacle? What have been some things that have been... Um, maybe interesting to you or maybe some things that you've never thought about so far just in terms of the tabernacle and raise your hand I want to make sure that uh, Terry has an opportunity to get to you anything that has stood out to you so far yes ma'am over here (laughs) he said naturally I think it's amazing that God picked out the threads and the curtains And that's a justification for me to be real picky about my house. There you go. You know, I tell you what, I've been studying the Bible for years. I would have never pulled that out of the text. Amazing exegesis, really. Truly. (laughs) I love that, Lois. That's awesome. Uh, Speaking of the colors, 
almost every time when the colors are mentioned, they are listed in the same order except once. I'll have to go back and find the scripture reference. Okay. But it's blue, purple, scarlet. And, of course, blue represents God, heaven, celestial, higher realm. That purple is royalty, but it's also a mix of heaven and earth, the humanity. Mm -hmm. And then the scarlet, we can take that back to Adam, you know, the, from, made from dirt, but also the color of blood. So, so another little really tidbit, good. and I'm going to throw this in here now uh, because I don't think it's in my notes for later. <clears throat> when you approach the ark from the outside, you don't see anything beautiful about it whatsoever because it's covered, you got to understand, it's covered in animal skins, like porpoise skins, weird stuff. Um, so when you look at it from the outside, you're just kind of like, hmm, okay, and you go right along. But as soon as you walk in this structure on the inside, the inside was layered with gold. They had embroidered, um, embroidered uh, cherubim. Um, so when you, when you walked in, it looked like you were walking in the throne room of God. It was a picture of the throne room of God with the cherubim, with the angels over word. So when you walked in, it was almost like you were walking literally into the presence of the Lord. You were, right? But physically, it changed from the outside to the inside. And it kind of reminds you of a scripture that talks about Jesus, that on the outside, was he a handsome, dashing man? <clears throat> the prophecy stated in Isaiah that from the outside looking in, there was no form or, I can only remember the King James, there was no form or comeliness that people should go after him. But, 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 but on the inside, he's God, right? He's the son of God. So fascinating. Very good. Anybody else before we jump in? Yeah, go ahead. Kind of going on what she said just came to me that he lives in skins. Okay. And he still lives in skins. Ah, again, I, stuff I never think about, but that's a good point. Roxanne, good point. Now, see, you done made her think of something. <clears throat> uh, I listen to a lot of Hebrew Roots teachers, yeah. and I heard a commentary the other day, uh, and it was so interesting. And this gentleman believes that, you know, when God clothed Adam and Eve with skins, he believes I think we should consider the possibility anyway, that they were like beings of light. Yes. And then he put yeah. human <laughs> yeah. human skin on them. And I'm like, we're okay. Yep. And then that'll preach all the way through like our tab tabernacle, our tent that, yeah, one of these days our tent's going to collapse and that being of light. Is going to go on back I think to so where too. it was created. Who um, knows? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of indication in the Bible that, that seems to suggest that, uh, that, that originally when we walked the earth that we were beings of light. As strange as that sounds, <laughs> we were beings of light. But it kind of makes sense because when, when Adam and Eve, uh, <clears throat> when they partake and they eat the, the fruit, right, it says their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. And, and I had this picture, and I used to didn't have this picture in my mind because I, I used to have the picture in my mind, well, you always were naked, that makes no sense. But, but if, they, if they were beings of light, and all of a sudden that light now goes out, well, now that's very evident that something has changed about you, right? Now you can see each other's bodies in a, in a different sense. Probably the greatest argument uh, for that is Moses. Remember when he goes up, uh, when he receives the Ten Commandments and he receives these, these plans for the tabernacle, 
He spends 40 days with the Lord in his direct presence. And just being in his presence has an effect on him. When he comes down, what happens? His face shone. Like literally, like he had a luminescence to himself. Like that's crazy when you think about it, right? And the Bible says that he had to actually put a veil in his face, I guess because it just freaked everybody out. I don't know. Or just, you know, I don't know what, why he did it, but he puts a veil over his face to not attract so much attention to himself. So being in the presence of God literally has physical effects on your body. Well, what, what's going to happen when we're completely restored and in the presence of God at all time? See, I don't know. Just conjecture, but interesting conjecture nonetheless. Max Ann, you look like the wheels are turning over there. You, you about to say something? Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> I was just going to agree with you on what you were saying. And uh, what are we going to be like? I what mean, are we going to be like? It's just, I got the shirt on. It says, be the light. That's right. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but I'm ready for my new model. What about you? I am too. I would turn this thing I was in. Uh, also about the veil. Uh-huh. Um, you were talking about when someone loses their light. You can tell. Yeah. And um, from what I, I think I read it in the Bible where it says that Moses wore that veil because as time went on, after he spent time with the Lord, he started to fade that the light started to fade and he covered his face with the veil in order to keep people from thinking he was he had lost the glory. I have never heard that either. I'd have to go look at that it's one. It's in That's the Bible, isn't it, Rick? Now, we'll share a little tidbit with you that maybe you don't know. Anybody, seen, uh, anybody ever seen Michelangelo's uh, famous statue of Moses that's in the, I think it's in the, um, isn't it in the, the University of England, huh? It's that very famous one where he's sitting, he's sitting down and he's, it, he's got horns. Have you ever seen it? It's, it's the famous sculpture by Michelangelo of Moses. So you say, well, why in the world did he put horns on him? Well, he put horns on him because in, in, the, in the Hebrew it says he's he shown. The word is karen, karen. And uh, it got translated into the Latin wrong. And when it got translated into the Latin, it was translated as horns. So they thought that God put horns on him. And so Michelangelo makes a statue and he has horns. That's why. That's why translation is really important. <laughs> Things get lost in translation, right? Yeah, Rick. On that uh, one point, Tim, <clears throat> when, when we have such a hard time understanding how words get translated and how they get portrayed, displayed, yeah. When you think of the horns of Moses, it's not goat horns right. like we would think of. It's more like the Statue of Liberty. It's radiant it the, the light coming from his head. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and take a walk through the tabernacle one more time. And uh, we're going to be a little bit more detailed this go around. Um, and point out some things as we go. We've already seen the video, so I'm going to skip on past that. We've already talked about the different things that the tabernacle points to, literally and typologically. But if you're walking, um, I thought it might be helpful to just, just to kind of verbally describe it as if we're there, okay? And I'm going to have you standing on the east side of this structure. The first thing you're going to notice when you walk up to it is that you can't see inside at all. It's about six foot high, white linen wall all the way around. So when you walk up to it, you can't see anything. Now, if you want to get in, you're going to have to go to the east side 
of the encampment of all the tribes of Israel. Remember, there's 12 tribes of Israel, and at this point, they're all camped in very strategic locations all around this structure. If we have time, what I would like to do is uh, kind of throw an addendum on the back end of the study because I'm telling you folks, every detail, every detail points to Jesus Christ in some way, shape, or form. Would it shock you if I told you that the nation of Israel, I wish I had it depicted. If I was a better preacher, I'd have it up here. A um, little humor there. Um, but the 12 tribes, the way that God has them positioned on the east and the north and the west and the south, they form the shape of a cross. So literally wherever they went for 40 years, when God looked down upon his people, they were camped in the shape of a cross. And I thought that would be more interesting. Okay, um, you guys, come on. Y'all, you you got to watch my humor points. Come on, all right? You got to watch it. Okay, <clears throat> so when you walk up to it, you're not going to be able to get it through it unless you go to the east side. You're going to have to go through the east side to get in. Who camps on the east side? Does anybody know? The Lion of the tribe of Judah. You cannot enter the ark. You cannot enter the tabernacle unless you go through Judah. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So Moses comes down from Mount Sinai. Remember, he has two tablets of stone. He's got the Ten Commandments, but he's also got a highly detailed specification set of plans to build this structure that you see right behind me. And, um, and it's very important. One thing I don't want you to forget is that the whole purpose of this structure, and, and, and this is a picture, this is a parable for you and I today, but the whole point that God is trying to make with this structure is that he is saying, I want to be with my people. That's what this whole thing is about. It's about God wanting to dwell with his people. And the, what is it that keeps you from being able to dwell in oneness with God? Sin. Sin is the barrier, right? Sin is what keeps you from having that relationship with God. So the whole point of this is to create a way to deal with sin so that your holiness can be taken care of so that you can be in the presence of the Lord. So don't forget that as we go through uh, these scriptures. Because this is going to point toward the temple that Solomon is going to later build. Herod is going to expand upon that and build it even more. But, but even more importantly than that, this is a picture that is fulfilled later. We talked about this last Sunday in the book of Revelation where it says God tabernacles among his people. So this is a picture that, that spans through the entirety of Scripture. So again, you walk up through the east side, you come up to the entrance here, and you see... This area, it's about 75 feet wide. It's about 150 feet back, depending upon the length of a cubit. Understand, we don't really know what a cubit is. Um, a cubit in the language means from the elbow to the tip of the hand, roughly 18 inches for most people, but we don't know. We know from ancient documents that, a, that a, an Akkadian cubit was different than an Egyptian cubit. And an Egyptian cubit was different than an Israeli cubit. So when it says cubit, it doesn't really give you much information. It could be 18, it could be 12, we don't know for sure. But roughly speaking, 75 feet wide, 150 feet long, depending upon what a cubit is. Um, now, when you walk into this structure, the first item that you're going to see, anybody know? It's kind of small, you can't see it. What's the first item you're going to come into contact with when you walk in on the east side? Okay. The first thing you're going to see is this structure over here. I don't have a good picture of it, but it's on the far left, and that's the altar of sacrifice. Okay? Altar of sacrifice. Now, it was made out of bronze. Why is that important? Well, bronze is a metal that can withstand heat very well. 
But the reason why bronze becomes important to us, biblically speaking, is because symbolically brass then becomes a picture of judgment. And you can see why, right? Because what takes place on the altar of sacrifice? Sacrifice. <laughs> I'm not trying to be facetious, but that's where judgment is. That's where judgment occurs. Sin is judged right there. How is it judged? It's judged by the slaughtering of an innocent life to cover over sin, to atone for it. Okay? So that's why brass speaks of fire. Symbolically, brass speaks of judgment. And in the book of Numbers, let me tell you why this is important. <clears throat> Do you guys remember the story? The children of Israel are grumbling and complaining. And God says, I'm going to send out a plague among the people because I'm, I'm just done. I'm done listening to it. And I've given them everything. They continue to sin. I'm going to send judgment among the people. So he releases a judgment. And it says that these, these fiery serpents begin to bite people and they start to die. And it's thousands you do bear in mind, there's over 2 million people camped here. So thousands of people are starting to die. And they go to Moses, they say, plead to the Lord for us. Do something, do something. And God does this very strange, curious thing. He tells them to fashion a bronze serpent on a pole. And then hold it up. And then anybody who looks at it, what's hap what happens? They get healed. Isn't that a weird story? You know, that's just one of those stories when you're in the middle of the night reading your Bible, you read it, and you're like, I ain't got time to study that one out, and you just keep on going, right? But if you do take the time to study it out, what do you find? Well, bronze is a picture of judgment, sin being judged. It's held up on a pole for all to look at. You see where I'm going with this, right? Because that is a picture of what later on? Christ, right? Christ. He was made to be sin on our behalf, right? He, the, the Bible literally says he became sin. Now, <clears throat> I, I realize he's making a point there. He's not literally saying Jesus is sin, but he became sin. He took it upon himself, upon that cross. And all of us who look to him, that's where we find our healing. But it's made out of bronze. And bronze is a picture of sin being judged. Okay? Now, the next item you're going to find is once you've made sacrifice and you've atoned, now you can go into the presence of the Lord. Only the Levites could go inside that structure right there. That's called the holy place. Now, we haven't got in there yet. There's still one more thing you've got to do. You see that little laver right there? It looks like a, <clears throat> it looks like a bird bath, right? <clears throat> That's called the, the golden laver, the molten sea in the King James Version. That's the way I memorized it growing up was the molten sea. And I never understood why in the world they call it a sea. What's the King James? It just means a basin of water. What do you do there? You wash, okay? You have to make sacrificial atonement for sin, but you also have to ceremonially wash. And that's where that would take place. You would wash your hands, you would wash your face and feet before you would go into that structure. Now again, the Levites can go in there. There's another structure in that structure called the Holy of Holies. Who all can go in there? One person. One day a year, too. And only after they've made a lot of ceremonial cleansing for themselves, right? Okay. <clears throat> so behind these two things, now we come to the structure itself. It was assembled from vertical wooden planks, and they were covered with gold. And they were fitted with rings which... Um, 
when they were fitted with the horizontal poles, that would give it its rigidity and help it would uh, stand up and be strong. Had two rooms. You had the, of course, the outer court was considered one, so it's three total, but inside you have two rooms. You have the longer room, which houses three items. We're going to talk about those in just a moment. And then in the very back, you can see right there that, that thing that there's a guy standing there. He's standing in front of what was called the golden altar of incense. And this was a continual burning of incense that would take place at all times. It was never supposed to stop. It goes 24 hours a day. And then behind that curtain, you guys know what's behind there, right? You've seen Indiana Jones. What's behind the curtain? The Ark of the Covenant, okay? And that's the place where <clears throat> God is to dwell. So let's take a quick peek at that. Woo, isn't that beautiful? That's the one from Raiders of the Lost Ark, by the way. <laughs> it probably didn't look exactly like that, but I've always thought that one looked so good, so I, I put that little picture in there. Okay, so this is the final, this is the inner sanctum of the Holy Holies, which contain two pieces of furniture. What are they? Two pieces of furniture in the Holy of Holies. Those are objects inside the ark. Okay? We'll get to that in a second. But what two objects are inside the Holy of Holies? Those are objects inside the, Holy, inside the ark itself. So very good, Baxan. You're getting ahead of me. Good job. The cherubim? See, here's what a lot of people don't realize. The Ark of the Covenant is actually considered biblically two pieces of furniture. The lid is called the mercy seat. The box itself, which contained those three items, that's actually what's called the Ark of the Covenant. A lot of people don't realize that, but they're two completely different objects, and they serve two completely different purposes. Again, we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Um, the word mercy seat, by the way, the word in Hebrew is propitiation. It's the propitiation seat. And let me show you what the picture looks like. <clears throat> Here you are. You're God, and that's your throne. You understand? Like, when you walk in there, I want you to understand, most likely, um, I don't know for sure, I've seen some indications of the wings, that the wings would be more like this. And on the other side. So this forms a chair. So when you walked in as the high priest, you're sitting in front of a chair. You're standing in front of a chair. Who's supposed to be on that chair? Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in that room and I'm in the presence of the Lord, I ain't standing. I'm on my knees real quick. Now, watch this, Maxan. What did you say is inside the ark? Bud staff of Aaron. Pot of manna to memorialize the provision that the Lord gave them. And then the third thing, the tablets of the law. So here comes the high priest, <clears throat> and to make atonement for all the people, Sandy, he takes that, the blood that he took from outside, he's gone from the outer court, through the inner court, into the Holy of Holies, right to the very throne of God, underneath his seat is the law. And he sits on the law. He's a God of justice, right? And the high priest comes in with the blood, and he sprinkles it right there on the seat. And so when the Lord looks down at his justice, the first thing he sees is the blood. Before he goes to his justice, he always confers with his mercy. Isn't that beautiful? Well, we can go home now. That, that's a good point. All right. 
right. And the covering of the incense, uh, the incense is to be a picture of the oh, prayers, sorry. the prayers of the saints. I'm sorry, Terry, I should have caught that one. He's trying so hard, doing a good job. Okay, see, I got all excited, and what I did is I just got out of place is what I did. Okay. So the Holy of Holies, again, this is, um, can only be something that could be done once a year. Uh, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in on Yom Kippur. Um, he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifices on the mercy seat. And so we have this brazen altar. You have the labor. You have the table of showbread. I didn't mention those things, so let me actually go back really quick. I skipped over those. Okay. So when you walk in the holy place, to your, to your right, you have what was called the table of showbread. And these were breads of cake that would be baked every single day. You would break, bake 12 of them, and they were to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? To the left, <clears throat> you have the golden menorah. Now, some people call it a candlestick. It's not a candlestick. You don't stick uh, candles in it. It burns continually from a vat of olive oil, from oil that is in the bottom of that thing. So it's supposed to be lit and stay lit continually at all times, okay? And then we talked about the, um, the incense in the very back. <clears throat> now, it's really interesting because, again, every detail of this structure points in some way to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Tabernacle, no exception. Um, it's full of pictures. And again, I'm going to argue with uh, the, the point that every material, even, even the, the, the four or five layers of skins, and I'm not going to conjecture every single one of them because it would take so long to go through them all, but even the very types of skins that are used in some way, shape, or form point to Jesus Christ. And we'll try to point a few of those out as we go. But okay, so we've made our model. I've walked you through my slide. Sorry about that. <clears throat> this is the go back button, right? Okay. All right, so what we're going to do now is we're going we're to walk back through it one more time. And this time, I want to point out Jesus along the way. Okay. We're going to point out Jesus along the way. So let's assume that we've camped as Israel did. And to get to uh, the tabernacle, we're going to have to walk through the tribe of Judah. And already that tells you right now that the only way, the only way is through Judah. It's through Jesus, right? Okay, Sandy. Sandy's waving her hand. She's excited. Go ahead. Oh, yes. Uh, well, of course, Judah... We trace that back to the when at the fourth son of the Leah, yeah. Yeah. but when she named him, she this is Genesis twenty nine thirty five, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, "This time I will praise the Lord." Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. So, contained within that Judah, the way to enter in is through praising. Mm. And then I think the coolest thing to me, one of the most amazing things, when we look at the paleo or original pictures, Judah, if you write it out, there's five letters. The, two, the first two and the last two are Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle of that, the Dalit is the doorway. Very good. The doorway to God, the doorway to Yahweh. So. Okay, so let's, let's bounce off of that. I'm going I'm to piggyback on what you just said. So here we are, we're on the east side. We're sitting in Judah, the camp of Judah. 
There's only one door. What did Jesus say in the Gospels in the book of John? I am the door. Right? Nobody, nobody comes in this door. Nobody who's legit comes in except through this door. Right? You find that in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. Um, as we approach the tabernacle, you see nothing but fine white linen all the way around. What does white linen symbolize in the Bible? Purity. Remember the, the parable of the, the wedding and the wedding clothes? And they were all given new white linen clothes. And there was a guy there who wasn't dressed for the wedding. And Jesus comes out and says, you're not supposed to be here. Out you go, right? Fine white linen represents the purity of Christ, right? The, um, the, the holiness of Christ. The posts were set in bronze sockets. Remember what I told you a moment ago about bronze? Everything, by the way, everything outside was made of bronze. Everything outside was made of bronze. Um, all of the, the, the workings, the metal workings, all the clasps, all of the hooks, all of the stuff, the, 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 the stuff that you would, the, the base that you would put the poles in, they were all made of bronze. Bronze is a picture of judgment, of sin. What is God intending to do with this structure? Judge sin. What did God do in Christ? He condemned sin so that in the flesh we might have that final condemnation of sin taken care of so that we might, as Paul says in Romans 8, become the righteousness of God. Isn't that beautiful? Okay. Um, let's keep going. I know we got the bell, but we're going we're gonna to push forward just a tad bit more. Um, so the first item that we encounter is the altar of sacrifice that you see right here. Um, <clears throat> points to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. I think you and all, all would agree with me. Um, everything begins and ends right there at the cross. That's the most important thing. Um, the next thing you walk up to is the labor, where you wash, where you receive purification. Well, is there anything that happens in our lives where we wash and receive purification? Sure. Yeah, that, I mean, this is, if you think about it, this is kind of a picture of accepting the gospel. The first thing that you come into contact with is the crucified Lord. What are you going to do with him, right? What are you going to do with the crucified Lord? Do you accept that sacrifice? If you accept that sacrifice, you're ready to go to the labor and be washed, right? When I'm ready to receive the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when I realize that I need forgiveness of my sins and, and, and he's the only sacrifice, I receive him and my next right response is to be buried with him in baptism. That's what happens at the labor. You wash. You receive your purification. And you never stop washing. But here's what you do. Once you do that, no, I don't want to skip. Mm -mm, not going to skip too much. Hold on. Back up a little bit. You can't go in that structure unless you're a priest. Right? Now, once you've been baptized in the Jesus Christ, something changes about you, doesn't it? You become what? Priest. A priest after the Lord your God. Well, now you get to go in, don't you? So let's go in. All right, so here you are. You're a priest. You're a Christian. And as, um, oh, I meant to say this. As you approach the building, as you approach Jesus, again, from the outside, you don't see nothing looking all that pretty, do you? But when you spend time with the Lord... You find his beauty. That's what I meant to do. See that, Maxanne? That was good. I practiced that. You just find his beauty. Don't go too far. That was really good. Okay. Now, 
The building proper, it's built of acacia wood. It's wrapped in gold. Now wood, what is wood a picture of? Wood was once alive, but now it's dead. Right? It's earthy. It was once alive, but now it's dead. Gold has now covered that over. It's been wrapped in glory. Woo! I'm preaching this morning, right? It's been wrapped in glory. That which was of the flesh, that which was dead, has now been wrapped in glory. Okay. The planks rested on silver sockets on the inside, not bronze. Now, silver is different. Silver, by the way, if you read the book of Leviticus, and that's probably your devotional reading at night, isn't it? So it puts you right to sleep. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You shouldn't say that about the Bible. Just read, read Leviticus 4 and just never mind. Okay. Um, but silver is a picture of blood Redemption. in the Bible. Redemption. Redemption. Blood. Redemption. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus for what? 30 pieces of silver. Later on it was called blood money. Right? Blood money. Um, he says, Behold, I have betrayed innocent blood. So the planks rested on silver. Silver is a symbol for blood. This whole thing rests upon the blood of Jesus Christ. Sandy, you, you, you said it already. It, it represents the... Um, the uh, what was the word that you used for silver? Oh, redemption. Yeah, redemption. There you go. I couldn't think of the word. That's also what that's pointing to. That once sacrifice has been made on the outside, once judgment has happened to sin, on the inside now you can receive that, that atonement. Right? Okay. And was that the last bell? Yeah. All right. Um, we're going to stop here. Yeah. Go ahead, Max Ann. Yes. East side. East side. I like it. I like it. Okay, next week we'll start right here. Uh, we will talk about the three objects on the inside and how they point to Christ and how they point to our walk with Jesus. Okay? We'll stop there. God bless you. Thank you. From the east to the west. <laughs>